The buzzards are always here for me. Always waiting, always here. For me, letting me know when I'm wrong. Ready to play the result after spectacular performances come in. <laughs> right? <laughs> Not before. No, 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 no. That would be too hard. Criticize the analysis before the result? Who would do that? No one knows what's going to happen. I'll wait until the result is in, the events occur, and then I'll look back with hindsight and criticize. That's the way to go. That's how you do it on Twitter and YouTube and everywhere people can get in my mentions agitating the pod father yes that's the goal why not why not right i'm fun to agitate clearly i mean just look at twitter there are people in the twitter sphere that do not like me if you criticize me they are just ready to pounce and i'm being criticized for missing kareem hunt <laughs> missed kareem hunt yeah missed kareem hunt that's the analysis right oh but the pod father missed kareem hunt is that really how your brain is wired? That's where your mind goes? When you see a spectacular performance, you immediately go to the guy that was not touting that player enough? Really? <laughs> Why? How? The psychology of those that use social media to interact with analysts is perpetually fascinating to me. They just want blood. They want you to say you're sorry. They want you to feel shame. Why? <laughs> Why? I don't get it. We're analyzing sports. And when sublime performances happen, we should appreciate the entertainment. I mean, I do. Kareem Hunt is spectacular. But on YouTube, I get criticized because, oh, you'll live to regret this one. This video. Can't undo this video, Matt Kelly. They're referring to a video of myself, Nate Liss, Kevin O'Brien, as... The Spencer Ware injury is unfolding on our televisions. We are breaking down the implications for Kareem Hunt on the show, on the fly. And I posted it to YouTube. Here's our snap judgment. What to do with Kareem Hunt and Spencer Ware. And my analysis was that the hype will build throughout the summer. And that happened. I was right. And you should not trade Kareem Hunt before the season starts. That was my argument to Nate Liss. Ride him, take the points, win your league, and then you can think about trading him at the end of the season. And when you go to trade for him, my argument was, you will be able to get back something like Keenan Allen plus, a top 10 receiver plus. Those are the heights the hype is destined to reach, and all of that has happened. Yet somehow that video was shameful, outrageously wrong. <laughs> I don't understand why. Because we talked about Kareem Hunt's agility score being in the 25th percentile? Because we talked about the fact that his measured athleticism is not what you typically see from the elite running backs? That if he ends up being Arian Foster, that's great, but Arian Foster was an outlier? All of that continues to be true. I'm not sure where I was wrong about Kareem Hunt. I'm not sure. Because we loved Kareem Hunt going all the way back to shows released in February and March talking about Kareem Hunt's spectacular college profile and mind-bending production at Toledo. This is a good football player, ideally deployed in space, but he's showing now that he has the ability to run between the tackles effectively, especially running behind the league's most efficient run-blocking offensive line. Why am I made to feel like an idiot for that analysis? I don't understand this. Hold Kareem Hunt, take the production, and then you can consider turning him into Keenan Allen Plus. That was the analysis! That's it. 
That was spot on! Can't undo this video. <laughs> what? What? Why is that the reaction? Why not celebrate Kareem Hunt? Why run to the internet and look for the guy whose Kareem Hunt forecast missed expectation? <laughs> Why? Because that's everyone. No one had Kareem Hunt being the number one back in fantasy football by a wide margin. Nobody! Nobody had Jordan Howard rushing for 1,400 yards last season either. Just enjoy it. You have found a running back in the double-digit rounds in a lot of cases. Enjoy it. Celebrate the performance. I'm doing that with Josh Doxson. I'm celebrating what looked like Randy Moss reincarnate. It took a year and a half, but my analysis of Josh Doxson is coming to fruition. We're seeing metrics in action, translated athleticism onto the football field in the form of Josh Doxson, not in the form of Terrell Pryor. Terrell Pryor has no college experience playing the wide receiver position and very little professional experience playing the wide receiver position. Josh Doxson has been producing on the football field going all the way back to his age 18 season when he had five touchdowns at Wyoming. He's a good player. He's a good player, but like Jamal Charles, he's been constantly pulling muscles and connective tissue and unable to play. He's been hurt a lot. The coaches perceive him as brittle, so they're not giving him a full snap share. They're going to use up Terrell Pryor. But they also saw what Josh Doxson can do with that spectacular leap and catch over a defender, a la Randy Moss. You saw his 1036 catch radius in action. That's exciting. That's something I'm going to celebrate, and I'm going to stash Josh Doxson wherever I can. And that's the beauty of Dynasty Leagues. That's why I love Dynasty Leagues, because you don't need to be right now. You can be right a year from now. It's okay. You can play the long game. You can look at a player's overall qualities, his intrinsic ability, and project his lifetime value. That's the beauty of Dynasty Leagues. You're not beholden to a single season of production where anything can happen. A quarterback like Andrew Luck never plays. And Dante Moncrief is forced to catch passes from some combination of Scott Tolzien and Jacoby Brissett. How can you evaluate Dante Moncrief in that environment? You can't. It's not fair. Dynasty allows us to zoom out. And we can eventually be right about players like Josh Doxson. But the funny thing is, when you tout a player, no one is there on social media to remind you how wrong you were. Because those that are out there looking for Josh Doxson content are practicing confirmation bias. They want to feel good about Josh Doxson. They're fans of the team. They own him on their fantasy team. As long as you're being positive, they're happy. The moment you go negative, the moment you suggest that a player has more red flags than the consensus perceives... Oh, look out. That's when the criticism comes raining down because you're taking away their feel good. Your criticism is conflicting with their assumptions going into it. No one goes looking on YouTube for videos and clips of players that they don't like. That's not the YouTube visitor. It's the opposite. So I get it. I get everything that happens on YouTube and on Twitter. I understand who is watching these clips and why they're upset, but they're still assholes. Because no one is going back to the Zay Jones videos and clapping. Great job, Matt. Awesome work. Zay Jones is a classic college compiler. Huge risk factors coming into the league, overdrafted by the Buffalo Bills, temper expectations on Zay Jones. That was the analysis and what's happening. Zay Jones is now number two in the NFL in drop rate, and he's not being targeted. So he's neither efficient nor receiving high usage. So he's not being used, and he's not converting his opportunities 
into production. That's the definition of a bust player in the NFL. He might not be a bust. It's still early. It's three weeks. We don't know. But he's getting the usage. Players like Chris Godwin, Taewon Taylor, way too early to tell. They're not getting the usage yet. We don't know what they are. NFL teams are not giving us the ability to analyze their performances. We are with Zay Jones. So far, he's failing. It's all about Jordan Matthews this week. We're going to talk to Davis Maddock from Roto Grinders. He has been a Jordan Matthews enthusiast like myself for many years. And I think we're both excited about what Jordan Matthews can be on the Buffalo Bills if and when the Buffalo Bills find themselves in situations where they need to score points to win. Jordan Matthews' target share has been increasing week by week. You could argue he's one of the most entrenched number one receivers in the NFL. So looking forward to talking to Davis about this. And in general, just talking about this idea of the retrospective criticism. We don't do that. If you're not on record criticizing the process that led to the analysis when the analysis is released or soon after, then get out of my face with the ex post facto criticism. You have the results in hand. Everyone is a genius once they have the box score in front of them. And I didn't have strong positions on Kareem Hunt or Terrell Pryor or Todd Gurley. I mean, that's the accusations that I'm receiving. That I was wrong about Kareem Hunt. Not really. I sat the Kareem Hunt debate out. I was quietly hopeful that he would be Arian Foster in a Chiefs uniform. And the improbable has happened. And it's spectacular. Enjoy it. Terrell Pryor, an enigma. We talked to J.J. Zacharyson, and I sat it out. He has incredible upside and incredible downside. The widest range of outcomes of any player in the NFL heading into this fantasy season was Terrell Pryor. And we weren't chasing that ceiling. We just weren't. I was not going to die on the hill of a wide receiver who just started learning the position last year. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Why? If we care about dominator rating, we care about collegiate performance, we care about zooming out and analyzing a history of opportunity and production and efficiency. Well, you can't get too excited about Terrell Pryor. You're not allowed to. I was encouraged by the 99th percentile speed score. I wanted the heir to Calvin Johnson to emerge in Washington. I did. That's exciting. Who doesn't want that? But I wasn't reaching for him with any kind of confidence. And with Todd Gurley, I sat that one out too. I brought on some guests. Both love Todd Gurley. Heath Kruger, most recently, we talked about Todd Gurley, the reception magnet, how he will be buoyed by catches and that Lance Dunbar is not a real threat. That's the only analysis that I had because I didn't know what this offense would be. Todd Gurley is an enigma as well. Todd Gurley was not a prolific college runner because he tore his ACL at Georgia. And because he tore his ACL heading into the NFL draft, no burst score, no agility score. But he did have the size and the speed, the 108.3 speed score. And when he did play at Georgia, incredibly efficient, 6.7 yards per carry and a 10.9% 76th percentile college target share. Lots to like about Todd Gurley, but an incomplete profile. So you have a player with an incomplete profile trapped on the Rams. He was the Terrell Pryor of running backs heading into the season. Just an enigma that I can't develop any conviction around. Not enough data for me to have conviction one way or the other with Todd Gurley. So get out of here criticizing my Todd Gurley position, which didn't exist. I mean, I have enough players that I feel strongly about to focus on. Do I not? Do I not have enough strong opinions? You need more? You need more. I can't sit it out with Terrell Pryor and Todd Gurley. No, I can't. I need strong, strident opinions about every player in the database. <laughs> 
Who do you think you're talking to? I'm Mr. Conviction. I'm Mr. Strong Opinions. But no, I did not feel strongly one way or the other with Terrell Pryor and Todd Gurley. If you liked both of them, you're one and one. If you didn't like both of them, you're one and one. Not a big deal. Oh, and the reminders about how wrong I was about Cooper Cop. Please. 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 How many rookies did I strongly criticize this year? Not that many. I can think of a handful of wide receivers and running backs. I felt every rookie with the last name Williams was being overdrafted. So, Mike Williams, Joe Williams, Jamal Williams. What have the Williamses done? Anyone? Anyone. For all of you all that are saying, I just do the opposite of what Matt Kelly does. If Matt Kelly doesn't like a player, I draft him. That's my strategy. Okay, well then you own Joe Williams, and you own Mike Williams, and you own Jamal Williams. How's that going for you? How's it going? Pretty good? No, didn't think so. I was against Zay Jones, as I mentioned earlier, and James Conner, a wasted handcuff. Those were my strong positions on rookies, right? Yes, of course. I'm trending wrong with Mr. Cooper Cup. Yes, I'm trending wrong. My batting average is 850 on strong positions about rookies. Fine, fair enough. It's still early. Zay Jones could break out. Any of the Williamses could break out. It's all possible. I've seen way too much in this league to chalk up these as victories because that's dynasty. That's the beauty of it. Plenty of time for every Williams to happen. Except Joe Williams. That's not going to happen. James Conner could happen. Zay Jones could happen. It could all happen. But as of now, I'm fine. I feel great about my positions. And if you just draft the players that I strongly criticize, your team is going to be terrible. I was wrong last week, though. I was. Derrick Henry. Yeah, Derrick Henry. Not very productive. Javorius Allen. Not strong. No. This is why I also don't do start-sit advice on Twitter. Because anything's possible. Derrick Henry may not be the starter. DeMarco Murray could experience a miracle, a medical miracle in play, and play really well against the Seahawks. And Derrick Henry is then demoted to backup running back. So no, you're not starting Derrick Henry against the Seahawks in a backup role. No one's doing that. I don't need to be on Twitter giving start-set advice to tell you, if DeMarco Murray's active and starting, you don't start Derrick Henry. Run your own fantasy team. Clearly, on Wednesday, I didn't think DeMarco Murray was going to play. We're guessing. It was an educated guess that he would not. I believe that DeMarco Murray is scared of Derrick Henry, however. If I'm in DeMarco Murray's shoes, the last thing I want is Derrick Henry running behind the best run-blocking offensive line in the NFL, rolling up well over 100 yards against the Seattle defense, and risking losing my role on the team as the primary back. I believe that was the thought process running through Derrick Henry's mind on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I think he was going to do whatever it took to get ready to play on Sunday because he's afraid of losing his starting job to Derrick Henry. Because of course he is. I would be. Look at Derrick Henry. We've never seen anything like it. Player that stands 6'3", weighs 245 pounds. He has linebacker dimensions with a 95th percentile speed score. This guy's a monster. I am DeMarco Murray standing next to, looking up at Derrick Henry thinking, no way I'm missing this game. No way. Do whatever you have to do to my hamstring. No way this guy's taking my rushing production this week. Absolutely not. I care too much about my profession, my career, my prestige on this team, my future earnings. 
I know I'm not coming back to Tennessee next year. I need every yard and every touchdown I can get. I cannot risk watching Derrick Henry rush for 1,500 yards this season from the sideline because I couldn't play in week three. That's the logic ladder that DeMarco Murray climbed, and that's why he was active. And if you started Derrick Henry, then you don't know what you're doing. And I'm not here on Twitter to babysit you through these decisions. Javorius Allen was also not a strong start. They were playing Jacksonville, one of the best rush defenses in the NFL. We did not have Javorius Allen as an RB1 last week. He went out and produced seven or eight PPR points because what we did have was projected volume in the passing game for Javorius Allen. That's why we had his projection above 10, but not above 15. He was in that area, that RB2 zone of players where you just don't know what's going to happen. You hope he goes out there, gets you 50 yards, five catches, and that usually equates to something like 12 to 14 fantasy points. A fair, safe projection for Javorius Allen, except he didn't play nearly as much as he did the week prior. So our usage guess was off. I started Javorius Allen in a handful of leagues, and I didn't score many points. And it's football. It's very difficult to predict how John Harbaugh is going to use his running backs. And you should not have been making crazy trades for either Derrick Henry or Javorius Allen last week. I never said that. I said aggressively target Derrick Henry. I didn't say trade Odell Beckham Jr. for him. I mean, ahead of a game in which he was playing Seattle. No, 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 no. I aggressively targeted Derrick Henry last week, and I was rejected. I made what I thought were quality offers, where I thought I was paying 125% of Derrick Henry's value, and I was rejected. Why? Because most of the people in my leagues listen to this show. They read my articles. That happens. It's fine. It was the right move to aggressively target him, and I still do not own Derrick Henry, and that's okay. But I'm not going out and doing crazy things that don't make sense, like starting backup running backs against Seattle or trading cornerstone assets for upside players. The problem with Javorius Allen is that Marshall Yanda's out. He's out for the year. And you saw the Jacksonville defense feasting on that offensive line without Marshall Yanda. At least when Marshall Yanda's in the game, the Ravens can run to one side of the field. When he's out for the year, it cripples Terrence West totally. Makes Terrence West completely useless. The rest of the way, Terrence West has no value without Marshall Yanda. At least Javorius Allen can be active in the passing game. He can get out away from the defensive line and make plays in space. But it still throttles him. Javorius Allen still fell in our seasonal rankings. Check him out. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Javorius Allen falling. Why? Because of usage and the lack of Marshall Yanda manifested in one of the worst performances by a professional offense in the NFL we've ever seen. Oh, and you all were ready to pounce on me after Jordan Howard's productive week. Yes, Jordan Howard zealots always waiting to pounce. I never said Jordan Howard's not going to have any good games, right? I mean, he still had one good game out of three. I'm feeling pretty good in my analysis of Jordan Howard's ADP going way too early at slot 14. And last week, I didn't even make many specific predictions. I didn't say definitively play Derrick Henry at all costs. I didn't. I did give you some specific predictions, though. I said Michael Crabtree would outproduce Amari Cooper. That was wrong. Neither one of them produced. And I said that Devin Funchess would outscore Kelvin Benjamin. That ended up being right, but for the wrong reasons. My thesis was 
Marshawn Lattimore would play, cover Kelvin Benjamin, funneling targets to Devin Funchess. Marshawn Lattimore was out. Again, I could not have predicted that on Tuesday. And it didn't matter because Kelvin Benjamin got hurt. So I ended up being right for the wrong reasons and wrong for the wrong reasons. So, hey, that's football right there. I mean, that's perfect. Isn't that perfect? Right for the wrong reasons, wrong for the wrong reasons. Football. Eh, Football. And if you love football... You like watching it on Sundays, you should be using the Draft app. Go to playdraft.com or go search Draft in your app store on your phone and download the DFS app that allows you to enter contests with unique lineups where you can challenge your friends to a two-man snake draft, set up a lineup against someone else, and you alternate picks throughout the week. It's fun. Do a four-man league, do a six-man league, a 12-man league. Draft has leagues of all sizes that allow you to compete against the opposition with unique lineups, creating rosters via Snake Draft. So go to Draft now, enter the promo code UNDERWORLD, and when you do, you will get free entry on your first deposit of $10 or more. It's time to talk to Davis Maddock. I want to ask Davis Maddock about Jordan Howard. I want to ask Davis Maddock about Amari Cooper. I want to ask him about Terrell Pryor. I want to ask Davis Maddock about Kareem Hunt. Follow him at Davis Maddock, D-A-V-I-S-M-A-T-T-E-K on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program, Davis Maddock. Davis Maddock, his scheduled appearance on the Roto Underworld program. A couple weeks in, this is when we want to talk to Davis. What do you got for us, Davis Maddock? Talk to me. I mean, hopefully a lot. I feel like this is the show that people wait for. I really, and I mean that in the most egotistical way. Yes. But I really feel, I really feel like people enjoy our our annual show together. I feel like this is like sort of appointment listening. I was hoping that there would be some activity on that Packers depth chart, some movement, some ups, some downs, some new players emerging, getting targets this week. That was my hope when I scheduled That was the hope, yeah. That was the hope, and we got what we were looking for. Exactly what I was hoping would happen happened other than you-know-what. Janice played a snap. He played a snap against right. the Falcons. He played a snap, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But someone who's not Janice, someone far inferior to Janice, was in there getting some incredible usage that was infuriating. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yes, we will. But let's talk about the positive. Let's celebrate this happening. I mean, this is happening. This is a happening time. Week three was the most happening week of the season. One of the most happening weeks I can remember. It was epic. We had the game-winning drives by both Brady and Rodgers, and we had copious fantasy points. We had some individuals winning matchups, hitting 200 points. It was incredible. And the guy on top of it all, the number one player in all of fantasy, is Kansas City Chiefs running back Kareem Hunt. So why can't fantasy gamers just enjoy it? Why can't we just sit back and enjoy Kareem Hunt? Why criticize individuals that didn't see this coming, which is everybody, or spin narratives about how it's not sustainable? Why is that the reflex? Can we just enjoy Kareem Hunt? Are you enjoying Kareem Hunt? Well, I'm enjoying Kareem Hunt because as soon as Spencer Ware went down, I I was taking him in the first round of redraft leagues. I took yes! him in the first I took him in the first round uh, of two separate leagues. 
Nice. Uh, I made a trade. I made a trade offer for him, giving up a first round, a future first round pick, and uh, I believe Allen Robinson pre injury for him in a dynasty league. Wow. Yes. God, I love that. I love someone pushing their chips in the center of the table. Well, it's just like generational running backs. You have to do it. Like I made sure when David Johnson was a rookie that I got him in every possible league. I still have him as like a ninth, tenth round keeper in a lot of leagues. You and I were talking before the show. Hunt, I was I was firmly on the record as Hunt being uh, just an absolutely sensational Best prospect coming out of Toledo. Yeah, he and and I liked Ware too before he got injured because I also think Ware is fine. But more than anything, I believe in Andy Reid. I believe in the Chiefs offense. I think that they do so many interesting things that other NFL teams do not do. And it allows them to score fantasy points kind of regardless of the game script. I think the reason that there are two camps on Kareem Hunt, well, actually three, the camp that I'm in, which is the camp that was like, all right, where's gone chips into the table, just acquire him, do what you have to do. Yeah. Opportunity is king. Yeah. Opportunities came. Then there's the other camp that, that preaches conservatism. And that's still the camp that is like, he has the widest gulf in between actual fantasy points and expected fantasy points. And you're all fish for going all in on him and paying 9,000 for him on DraftKings and whatever. And then there's the other camp that doesn't really want to take a stance, but is bummed out that they're not benefiting off him being, he leads the NFL in rushing by 113 yards, you know, and, and, and they're the camp, they're the camp that still is wanting to wait and see, you know, and I just don't, I don't wait understand and waiting and seeing when a guy's like, did you wait and see when Arian Foster was, was smashing for the Texans? Like if you were waiting and seeing then it, this is the same phenomenon. Kareem Hunt has an interesting college profile. One you can get really excited about because he showed his ceiling across different seasons. And this is what I like to do looking at a player's college resume is isolate those seasons when a player was at his best and then create a composite view of their college resume. So he has 1,600 yards in 10 games as a sophomore. 1,600 yards in 10 games, 8.0 yards per carry. 8.0 yards per carry is more than Wisconsin Melvin Gordon, okay? Then later, as a senior, 41 receptions. So he has a 40 reception season on his resume. Not bad. A season with 1,600 plus yards in only 10 games, as well as three double digit rushing touchdown seasons. So he was one of the epic running backs that we've seen in college in recent memory. But the athleticism was a red flag. It was a red flag for me. It was a red flag for a lot of people. If Kareem Hunt showed great speed and agility at the NFL scouting combine, you would have seen his draft stock rise even more. And many hipsters other than yourself would have been considering him over a Dalvin Cook, for example. But because he didn't flash at the combine, that's what kept his dynasty stock relatively low and depressed heading into dynasty rookie drafts and then because of that also there wasn't this land rush to get him in the first and second round after the Spencer Ware injury post Spencer Ware injury he was still going in the third round in a lot of leagues because most fantasy gamers are risk averse and you need to see it to believe it with rookies particularly rookies that come from small schools and don't have great athletic profiles but production matters we've talked about this with 
with Kristen Michael and many running backs going back through time, if you're a dominant college player, eventually you're going to flash workhorse level production at the NFL because that's what he proved, if anything, at Toledo. Forget the efficiency, forget the passing game usage. He showed that he could be a bell cow at that size threshold right at 210 215 pounds he showed every season i can absorb 200 plus carries and heavy usage in the passing game so now you flash forward to him being thrust into this number one primary back role in kansas city there's no reason to think that he can't thrive in that role so he's the right back in the right system has an all-purpose skill set on a team that leverages running backs with all-purpose skill sets. You can go back to Andy Reid with LaShawn McCoy to see what Kareem Hunt's ceiling looks like. Kareem Hunt's ceiling is Eagles LaShawn McCoy, and he's even outproducing that at the moment. Yeah, he can he can easily smash that ceiling. And I think probably the biggest lesson or the, the thing that I would like to impart about this situation is that specifically for running backs, I think we do overrate athleticism. We do overrate agility score in terms of what their production will be like once they get the opportunity. I do think that athleticism, agility scores, uh, explosion scores, stuff like that, I think that can be predictive in predicting which late round running backs do get the opportunity or do flourish when they get the random opportunity, even if they are a third string running back. But when like, this is like the Marvin Gordon corollary. Like if a team is telling you this guy is getting 25 carries or 25 interactions, what it it couldn't possibly matter to me if they ran a four seven forty. At that That's point, right. it just it just doesn't matter. Right when you're comparing Jamal Williams to Aaron Jones, who has the most long term potential as Ty Montgomery's backup, it's Aaron Jones. It's absolutely Aaron Jones. Yeah. Based on all of the measurables we talked about, going anything you want to look at, you want to look at college resume, you want to look at athleticism. It's Aaron Jones because you're looking at players with later round draft capital all else being equal then you want to start looking at these other metrics but when a kareem hunt goes in the third round and he's the guy next to spencer Ware on the depth chart it's 1a 1b the organization's committed at that point once you see an organization is committed you can start to go and freely look at his resume through a confirmation biased lens that's okay it's okay to start looking for positive signals on his resume and when you go to his college statistics that's all you see are just glaring positive signals so their scouts the kansas city scouts went and watched him and they saw some special ability from a guy from a small school small school players don't typically get drafted in the third round unless you're david johnson or in this case kareem hunt right so they saw something exceptional in kareem hunt to go up and get him in the third round from a small school you have to start gaming this out in your head and thinking about what kansas city is thinking in drafting him and then thinking about the situation that he's in the one thing none of us could see coming was that offensive line the cohesion is it cohesion is that the right word cohesion the cohesion thank you davis of that offensive line has been spectacular. The yards blocked that they're offering Kareem Hunt is exceptional. And then when he gets a chance to break a tackle, what is he doing? He's breaking tackles. He's breaking a lot of tackles. His 24 evaded tackles, eight per game on playerprofiler.com, number one in the NFL. He's just breaking tackles and breaking runs. It's very rare we see a player number one in breakaway run rate and number one in evaded tackles. 
because usually it's this between the tackles grinder who's just trucking defenders and he's breaking tackles and he's forcing missed tackles because defenders are bouncing off of him. But that's typically not the same guy that's getting the breakaway runs. But now we right. see in Kareem Hunt, he's doing both. So he is a special talent. Like It's official. I know it's only three games. I know it's a small sample size, but it's over. Like The ship has left the harbor. It's sailing away. He's good. This is honestly the exact same conversation that existed about Arian Foster. Like the athleticism, uh, just like all of it. Like it's, I'm telling, it's just the, it's the same thing. And and I, like I just, I don't know what more you need to see. Like if your argument is, well, long touchdowns aren't sustainable. Sure, I mean he probably won't get one every week, but he had 101 rushing yards before the 72 yard rushing touchdown this last week like he was already he already hit the 100 yard bonus on DraftKings before the 69 yard touchdown I was at the FFPC high stakes league and I was drafting in a conference room with lots of other drafters lots of other drafts happening lots of big boards and this was on Friday and the Thursday night kickoff game had already happened so if you drafted Kareem Hunt you were banking 30 plus points so you had a bird in the hand situation Right. And Kareem Hunt was going number three in most of those drafts because he had revealed himself to be a stud in week one and drafters were selecting him accordingly. But I looked across the room and I saw on one big board someone take him number one. Number one. And uh, that person is laughing all the way to the bank because DJ Hurt and Lev sucks. And that's what you need to do. Bird in the hand, people. Bird in the hand. It's football. Random collisions on every play. Oblong ball bouncing in different directions. You don't know. We don't know year to year what the hell is going to happen. We don't know what the schemes are going to look like. We don't know what the defensive game plans are going to look like to stop certain players. You have a bird in the hand. You go bird in the hand, and that's Kareem Hunt. Now, staying with the Chiefs because that's your local team, your favorite team. Not my favorite team, but my local team. Little known fact. You're more active talking about the Chiefs on social media than you are the Cowboys in the last year, I would say. The Cowboys are just an infinite well of sadness for me. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. Okay. I, I'm 25 years old, so so the positive experiences I've had watching the Cowboys have been none. There has not been a season that has not ended in an abject failure in the time that I can remember. Well, last year was a good year. I mean, it was encouraging. They didn't win. They got beat by a good team. So it's fine. It's fine. They're going to be good. They look good last night. They're good. They did look good last night, but it's just like, and Jerry Jones is just like the worst. And Jason Garrett is just like one of the most like dedicated. All right. All right. All right. All right. right, Okay. Okay. Chiefs. You get it. You get it. Chiefs. AFC. Chiefs. 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 Davis's favorite AFC team. The Chiefs. Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill. Now, Travis Kelsey did nothing last week. That's a fine. It's fine. It's fine. He's a tight end. Tight ends are volatile week to week. That's the tight end position. And when they get into those positive game script games and Tyreek scores a long touchdown in the first, I'll say this, the correlation between Tyreek scoring a first half touchdown and and Travis Kelsey's fantasy points this year, it's going to be an inverse graph. That's right. When Tyreek scores in the first half, you can basically bet it's going to be a bad Kelsey game. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's also a lowish volume offense that wants to be a running team because they have one of the best running backs in the league already. We can say that as it's been established and the best run blocking offensive line yeah. and a good defense. So they want to play ball control style every week. So therefore, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are going to be volatile. Yes. They're better best ball plays than they are 
standard, traditional redraft plays. Regardless, they're exceptional. Travis Kelsey's absolutely a top three tight end. Oh, I think he's pushing top one. I think him with Gronk, with all the injuries, I think him and Gronk are like legitimately comparable players now. Well, the problem is with Zach Ertz's target share, he's starting to push himself into that conversation, even yeah. though he's a pumped-up move tight end. Zach Ertz yeah. is absolutely moving in that conversation just based on usage. There's nothing we can do about it. The Eagles are a different... The Eagles have a different system than the Chiefs, so they are going to feature Zach Ertz in a way that Travis Kelsey will not be featured, but Travis Kelsey's one of the two most efficient tight ends in the league. It's Gronk and Kelsey, and then a chasm to the next guy in terms of efficiency. Yeah. But imagine Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey on a high-volume offense with a quarterback that can threaten defenses. This is all happening with Alex Smith under center. That's the coolest thing about what's happening in Kansas City. You agree? I mean, I'm not anti-Alex. I would say like 90% of like like football fans, football Twitter, fantasy football Twitter are anti-Alex. I I am not anti-Alex Smith. No. I am pro-Alex Smith. Okay. You can win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith as your as your quarterback. The guy that finished a season 16 games without a touchdown pass to a wide receiver, that Alex Smith. As long as you don't go down 14 points at any point in the playoffs, you can win a Super Bowl with Alex as your quarterback. His receivers that year were very bad. They were not good. Donnie Avery and Dwayne Bowe, those were his receivers. A washed Dwayne Bowe and a washed Donnie Avery. How many passing touchdowns to wide receivers did you think he was going to get that year? He didn't have Tyreek Hill. That's a good point. He didn't have Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And he didn't have Albert Wilson. Albert Wilson would have been the clear-cut number one wide receiver on that team. Albert Wilson looks like the Chiefs' number two receiver. It's weird because... The snap share is lagging Chris Conley, but he's dominating Chris Conley in target share. Will Albert Wilson emerge as the number two option among wide receivers on that depth chart? No, because they play Demarcus Robinson as well, and they, they're they're playing these two tight end sets with Ross Travis and Demetrius Harris. And Conley is a good run blocker. Conley is out there on the field a lot, especially in the hurry up, because like he's huge. Yes. Guys, like I, I believe he's six four, and he, he's just like smashing these run blocks. And and I people like for fantasy football particularly, they hate that. Like they hate the idea that a wide receiver who they think is more talented doesn't get to play because of run blocking. But in a team like like this happens in Dallas with Bryce Butler and Terrence Williams, and this uh, happens... You read my mind, man. I was just... Man, a tingle ran down my spine. I was about to say Terrence Williams. This is the Terrence Williams corollary. Boom. This is the Terrence... I mean, this is the... Like, this has been a thing in the NFL. You know your teams, man. You know your teams. Yeah, this has been a thing that exists forever because coaches place a ton of value on things like giving extra effort on like a long run and like you will a hundred percent of the time you will see chris conley out there throwing the very last block on those kareem hunt runs and coaches love that stuff and he has a 99th percentile spark score partly because bench press is one of the measurements and he benched a lot of weight at the nfl scouting combine as well as being Incredibly explosive and fast for his size. So that's why I can't get overly excited about Albert Wilson. But the target share is something I have to keep monitoring because when they're in three receiver sets, I mean, the ball goes to Albert Wilson. You can see it happening. They're drawing up plays for him. It's just very interesting. He has an incredible dominator rating from his time at Georgia State. He's just good at football. And yeah. that's the thing. That's what do you think happens, Davis? When they just draft a lot of guys that are good at football and they start acquiring a lot of guys that are good at football. They just keep collecting guys who can play. Why should we be surprised they're 3-0? and 
when you collect a bunch of players who are good from Travis Kelsey on down, you're going to win games. You're going to beat the Patriots when at every position in a one-on-one battle, you have a player that has passion and athleticism and great technique. That's what these guys are showing. Even Tyreek Hill, who is new to the position, is showing great technique and he's growing as a route runner. It's amazing. It's amazing what's happening. This factory of efficient play that's happening in Kansas City is special. But if I had to assign credit, it would be whoever was selecting the players because they knew what they were doing. In certain draft picks, in certain slots, in certain rounds, they're picking the right guy, going all the way back to Travis Kelsey when they drafted him. And they're targeting the right things. Yeah, they're they're looking for the right things, and, and it's weird because they fired their GM, and they mismanaged their cap, and they're going to have to release a bunch of players next year to get under the cap. They already started. They get out ahead of it, releasing Jeremy Macklin. Imagine this team with Jeremy Macklin. I don't think they need Jeremy Macklin, though, per se. You know what I'm saying? This is what we want from NFL teams we want them to spend money and optimize their rosters like the Chiefs are doing and yet so many of these teams struggle to get to the salary floor they leave 20 million dollars on the table in salary cap room when the season is over and no fans are writing angry letters about that that the owners are just pocketing that money when the Chiefs are not doing that they're saying no It's a real thing. We're going to get right close to the cap. We're going to get right to the precipice of the ceiling, and we're going to maximize our roster and try to win and get the best players we can on the roster. And and we're going to play it so close to the buzzsaw, we might have to cut Jeremy Macklin, but that's okay. And now the reward, a 3-0 team that everyone wants to watch. It's amazing. It's great. It is. It is. It and I mean they are they're fun to watch. Like the things they do on offense are just impressive. Like they're running these all sorts of different elements that you don't see any other NFL team running. Like they're they're a quote unquote college offensive elements, but all that means is it's something that has become untraditional in the NFL. I'll say this. I'm impressed by Andy Reid because he just doesn't look like someone who's interested in new ideas. When I look at Andy Reid, I look at an older man who looks like a walrus. He doesn't look like the prototypical innovator coach. No, he looks like a security guard at a library. Thank you. This is what he looks like. That's what That's I'm what saying. He looks, like. he looks yeah. the part of a security guard at a library, not super innovative coach, always open-minded and implementing the new, new thing before the next guy. Yeah, but he is though. But he is. Andy Reid does not give off risk-taking innovator, but that's what he is. He's still bad at he's still bad at clock management, but other than that, he's like he's got the coaching thing pretty dialed. Oh yeah, the play calling, everything. That's what I'm talking about. It's next level. And you just don't expect the next level of NFL play calling to come from someone like that. Yes, Sean McVay, someone younger and spry, that's the guy that I would think, okay, this is the guy that's gonna break the norms. This is the guy that's gonna carry the torch for the NFL's next generation of play calling, but it's not. No, it's good old Andy Reid. And you can tell he has the locker room too because he drafted a quarterback in the first round and there's not, no one on the team is calling for Mahomes. Like when you watch the games on TV, they're not panning over to the shot of like Mahomes, like pacing on the sideline, like ready to walk in. Like you can tell he's communicated to his players. Like Mahomes, you were a valued member here. You were a part of the team, but right now Alex is our quarterback. Right. Clock management's valuable, but sure. 
his ability to harness the passion of that locker room and point it in a positive direction, implement a game plan that's a step ahead of his competitors, and create a talent configuration on the roster that's about as optimal as we can find across the NFL. I'll take that over the clock management any day. Any day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Give me give me a play call like the one where Kelsey scored against Philly where they had the read option, jet sweep, fake handoff, shovel pass. Like that's like one of the best plays I've ever seen in the history of football. Give me one of those and you can bonk you can you can bungle a game later in the year because of time management. That play is in the playbook for a lot of teams. They just don't call it. Now, the Bills have been calling pass plays infrequently, but when they call pass plays, the ball tends to go to Jordan Matthews, which is the least surprising thing in the history of the NFL that when the choices are Jordan Matthews or Zay Jones or Andre Holmes or Charles Clay, that the ball would go to Jordan Matthews. That's somehow shocking. Now, I like Andre Holmes. I think Andre Holmes is a sleeper. I've been following Andre Holmes' career since his time at Hillsdale. I like Andre Holmes, but he's not Jordan Matthews. And Jordan Matthews yeah. is by far and away head and shoulders above any other receiver on that depth chart. And now when you look at the target share, he's dominating the share of targets for the Buffalo Bills. Jordan, Jordan Matthews is Anquan Bolden. He's suddenly one of the most entrenched number one wide receivers in the NFL. That happened. This is true. It's great, right? Yeah, he's he's awesome. And I've been, I mean, I've been on this train for a long time and I was very excited by the trade to Buffalo. He's going to be a low volume, like low volume, high target share guy, just because right. of how that Bill's offense is. But when they get in some games where they're going to be trailing for like, you know, a whole half, we're going to see some 12, 13 target Jordan Matthews games. I'm and excited. also he's still only been on the team a month. Right. Three targets, three targets, five targets, but the target share crept 20% last week. They've played difficult matchups, man. Carolina, Denver, and yet they're in these games. When they start playing teams that have offenses, look out. When they start playing teams that can score points, look out. Jordan Matthews is going to hit the waiver wire in a lot of leagues, and he's very available across the board. His brand equity since the trade, and because he's now operating on a low-volume offense, even the hardcore Jordan Matthews fans, other than you and I... They've forsaken. They've forsaken him. They have absolutely forsaken him. That's perfect word choice. I'm writing that word down. I love that word. Except you and I. We're looking at eight, six, and nine fantasy points week by week, and we're excited. We're excited because the target share is growing. It's growing, but also you want to talk about Jordan Matthews. Coaches love that guy. That's another guy. First one to practice, last one to leave. He works at run blocking. Everything you were talking about with Chris Conley, yeah. all the virtues that Chris Conley brings to the table. Yeah, he does the same thing. Run blocking, little things, first in, last out. That's Jordan Matthews. For all those reasons, the target share is only going to escalate from here. Yeah. He is my favorite buy low wide receiver at this very moment. Now, when we look at breakout wide receivers, like the next breakout guy, the next guy that's going to become a number one receiver, is it possibly Josh Doxson? For me to answer this question, honestly, I would have to like pour out some malt liquor for Terrell Pryor, and mm. I, I'm not... Not ready. I'm not quite ready. Not Josh Doxson is a thing, but I'm not ready to call him a, a breakout yet. I'm not there yet. My feeling with Josh Doxson is I don't want to be overly influenced by vividness bias. 
where the guy that scores the exceptional touchdown is the guy you go pick up, where you overweight your fab budget bidding on a guy because he had an impressive long touchdown where he looked like Randy Moss. I mean, that's the most Randy Moss looking touchdown I've seen since Randy Moss retired. That was incredible. And it makes sense. I love it when a player's metrics are expressed on the field. So he has a 1036, 96th percentile catch radius on playerprofiler.com. And then you saw what that means. You saw the metrics in action with that catch. What I'm hoping is the coaches also are affected by the vividness bias. How can you not be, if you're Jay Gruden, see that catch and not ensure that his snap share rises next week and that you install more plays where he's the focal point. I'm hoping that happens. I'm not predicting it because you can't predict a guy with a 43% snap share to suddenly become the number one receiver on his team. That's not how it works. He was up to 52% of the snaps uh, on Sunday. Correct. So it's been going up week by week, going up 43 52, it's rising. So I'm excited about Josh Doxson and I'm stashing him wherever I can in redraft leagues if I have room on my bench because that depth chart is relatively thin. We like the idea of Terrell Pryor. Of course we do. The height adjusted speed score in the 99th percentile. This is one of the exciting players in the league. The potential heir to Calvin Johnson, but he's new to the position. He's played the position less than two years and the lack of nuance seems to be affecting him. His route running prowess just is not where players like Pierre Garçon were at last year. No. And Mm -mm. it's preventing him from gaining separation and getting targeted where you saw Pierre Garçon getting targeted last year. And they're not running him on those nine routes and those post corners like they had Deshaun Jackson. I wish they would. Yeah, that that is the role he would be best served in being their primary red zone weapon where you say, okay, you have single coverage, go get the ball. And and by using the athlete like don't make him try and be a precise a precise route runner because he's, he's not going to be that. Never. So just let him run. Let the, let the dude run. Yeah, he spent all that time playing quarterback. It's not going to happen. Let him go vertical and win vertically. He's not going to win laterally. Pierre Garçon wins laterally. The two players are complete polar opposites. One guy wins vertically. One guy wins laterally. Why are you sticking a square peg in a round hole? I don't know. Someone get this message to Jay Gruden that I disagree with how he's using Terrell Pryor and Davis Maddox agrees with me however if this continues and they just want a guy to play a particular role in this offense and run a certain route tree well i think josh doxson's better at it josh doxson has a 1092 agility score 81st percentile and he has an impressive college resume that Terrell Pryor never had because he played quarterback. So it's possible. The depth chart is relatively thin because you don't have established wide receivers running routes. You don't have anyone on that team that's finished as a WR2 or better in fantasy. For that reason, there's hope. Crowder will not be benched. His role will not change. Well, no, his role has been less than we thought it would be. If his role is stable the rest of the year he's a number two option they're waiting for a number one option to emerge yeah they have not had to throw that much they were winning the rams game they were winning the raiders game so it's not like they're the we haven't had like a 55 pass attempt Kirk cousins game yet i'm quietly optimistic about josh doxson and i think that's fair i am holding out hope that Terrell Pryor can show off his athleticism and make big splash plays. He has it in him. We saw it with the Browns. I mean, it's been done. He did it with Browns quarterbacks. He can certainly do it with Kirk Cousins. So I'm holding Terrell Pryor, 
but stashing Josh Doxson. Fair, yeah. So Xavier Rhodes is good. Xavier Rhodes is very good. Xavier Rhodes may be the new best cornerback in the league. He may be the heir to Darrell Revis. That's what it's looking like. Elite wide receivers go to Minnesota to die when covered, smothered, shadowed, however you want to call it, by Xavier Rhodes. Are all roads closed at this point? Can you just bench all your Detroit Lions just in case they get near this guy? No, I would still play Tate just because the sort of, like... I would compare this as a similar situation to Seattle of years past where like you would never play a number one, like a real 6'3", 220-pound wide receiver against them, but you could play Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, you could play Danny Amendola. You could play guys like that who move around the formation, inside, outside, yeah. go in motion, so on and so forth. Like I would play Tate, no hesitation, because I also think Detroit trails in that game. No hesitation. Play Tate just based on game flow and... And his targets come so close to the line of scrimmage that it's hard to just smash him down. Yeah, play Tate based on game flow and the route tree and the way they use him. He's the one they often send in motion. Their goal is to get him free. And the Lions aren't idiots. They know that the goal needs to be get Tate away, out and away from Xavier Rhodes. So that's the thesis behind continuing to start and play Golden Tate. In fact, playing Golden Tate against Minnesota would be a contrarian move in a GPP, for example. Very contrarian, yeah. He will not be, the the whole narrative all week will be about Xavier Rhodes. That's right. I think repressed Jordan Howard owners are insufferable. They constantly remind me that I was wrong, even though I was right for two weeks. I was right for two weeks, but then now I'm wrong again. And then they're reminding me that I was wrong about him last year. When again, like Kareem Hunt, everyone was wrong about Jordan Howard last year. Leave me alone. So wait, you're you're pro or anti Jordan Howard? I haven't liked Jordan Howard since he came out. And Tariq Cohen is exciting. I would much rather get excited about Tariq Cohen and build a case around Tariq Cohen and eventually be right about Tariq Cohen that he outproduces Jordan Howard when the season's over. That's probably not going to happen. That's wishful thinking. Well, no, thinking. he could do it. He could do it just because his touches are more valuable and Howard doesn't work in the passing game. Well, that's right. And also, game script. The Bears are not going to be winning a lot of games in the second half. Man, dude, when Trubisky takes over, though, Howard is going to be better for fantasy because I think Trubisky can play. That's the problem. He can play. He's certainly better than Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon's yeah. the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. He's officially now worse than Blake Bortles. Somehow, some way that happened. That's a great point. That's how I'm going to be wrong. That's how I'm going to be wrong. It's the supporting cast that has supported Jordan Howard all along. One of the best run-blocking units is in Chicago, opening up very wide running lanes for Jordan Howard that any competent running back could run through. The touchdown that Jordan Howard scored, he had to work for, even though there were camera angles where I couldn't see a defensive player in the screen. There wasn't a defensive player. It was just on one end, an offensive lineman, bookmarked by another offensive lineman on the other side of the screen, no defenders. And he's somehow found a way to almost not score that touchdown, wheezing his way into the end zone where another running back just would have cruised into the end zone. But for Jordan Howard, it always looks like work and he always looks slow even when he's breaking away. Anyway, I, I'm not here. I, what am I going to do? He did, he played well. Congratulations. He helped you win your matchup. Why did I do this? I don't want to do this anymore. People who took Jordan Howard are fish. Like taking Jordan Howard was just bad. 
Because if you if you wanted the argument to be like, well, he's just going to get volume, you should have just taken Gurley instead. Like if you're taking a bad running back with volume, you would on a bad team, you would take Gurley instead. Like I can't imagine taking Jordan Howard over Todd Gurley. That was it. That was all that needed to be said. I didn't say it. I didn't even say it, people. That wasn't even me. That was Davis Maddock. So it's not just me. It's not just me who thinks that you were a sucker drafting Jordan Howard at 14th overall. Confirmed. So which player's been the most pleasant surprise for you? I understand Kareem Hunt because no one saw this coming exactly. But other than Kareem Hunt, the next most pleasant surprise. It just has to be Tymont being David Johnson, right? That's got to be the number one. That is like more so than Kareem Hunt, more so than Todd Gurley. Ty Montgomery is the biggest development this year in fantasy. 90% opportunity share. I mean, he's getting that Melvin Gordon, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell usage. Oh, boy. Oh, baby. <laughs> I love it. He's good at football, man. He's good at football. He was a running back trapped in a wide receiver's role at Stanford, so we never got to see it. But now we're getting to see it in his second season playing the position. We talked about Terrell Pryor, new to the wide receiver position. You can expect inefficiency. But all we've seen from Ty Montgomery since he decided to play running back is efficient play. If if Ty Montgomery had not have changed positions, he would be sitting next to Janice on the bench waiting to go be a punt gunner. He, he was not good. He was not a good wide receiver. That's right. He, he didn't he didn't really have like I'm not saying obviously he's athletic. Just his specific brand of athleticism did not. Uh, what would the word portray convert did not convert to wide receiver athleticism the right way. Yeah, his brand of athleticism just didn't align with how wide receivers win on the football field. Yeah. And that's not that's not a knock against him. Like clearly he's a good football player. It's just that wasn't it just wasn't his deal. It is amazing. I see this with tweener tight ends too, the two hundred and thirty pound tight end. These guys in a vacuum are good football players, but they have no role. There's nowhere to play them. So they can't contribute. It's like the undersized linebacker that can't play safety. I mean, these guys on a different planet would be hell of football players, but they just their their size and their skill set just doesn't quite align with what NFL teams need to deploy. So that's the beauty of Ty Montgomery is that somehow, some way, the Packers coaching staff, which is awful at self scouting, awful at play calling, awful at everything. You see how many times Aaron Rodgers looks over. Right. Yelling at the coaches, swearing up and down at the play he's about to call or the play that just failed. Also because he is that guy, that second guessing dickhead. So he's got some of that in him. So it's a combination of he's a dick, but also the coaches are incompetent. But even an incompetent coaching staff like what we have in Green Bay knew enough to convert Ty Montgomery to running back, and thank God they did. And one of the great examples of their incompetence is playing a player named Geronimo Allison. Ugh. Heavy snaps. Kill me. Why? Why are they doing this? And the beauty is the beauty is that the box score chasers, they think this guy's good, Davis. They think Geronimo Allison's good. This is killing me. Oh, that 72-yard reception in overtime. It's just like, why even be alive when things like this are allowed to happen? Like, honestly, why bother being alive? That's a product of being in an Aaron Rodgers system, and that's all that is. Yeah, that that was terrible. Ah, oh, just so annoying. So annoying. Yes, when Jordy Nelson is out there and Martellus Bennett's out there commanding attention of the defense, and you have Aaron Rodgers, who has a computer for a brain, even though he's an asshole... 
he is an asshole. He's going to deliver the football in that situation. And the numbers that Geronimo Allison is going to put up with Randall Cobb out, it's heartbreaking because you just know what Jeff Janis could do in that scenario. You know if you put Jeff Janis in a situation where the team is showing confidence in him for the first time, not that he's being thrown out there at the end of a game because of his athleticism or that they're putting him out there because there's no one left. He's the last receiver on the bench. If they showed a belief in his ability by putting him out there when other options exist and playing him heavy snaps and 80% snap share, that would do wonders for his confidence and his play. There's no doubt. And he would deliver. He would absolutely deliver. Whatever you're getting from Geronimo Allison, just multiply that by two if you had Jeff Janis out there. And you and I are the only ones that know this in our bones, that this is true. Yeah, and I mean, Aaron Rodgers is an asshole. This Trevor Davis guy, who every time this happens to the Packers, this Trevor Davis guy comes in and plays where Janis should be playing. And it's just like, guys, why bother? Like why? Like and he's like. It's not like they don't know he's good. He's their kick returner. They know what he can do. It's it's, it is mind blowing. It is mind blowing. Stupefying incompetence from the Packers coaching staff. Trevor Davis is a cardboard cutout of a wide receiver. I don't think he would make twenty rosters in the NFL. I mean, if you had to pick the guy, the cut candidate. I mean, Trevor Davis shouldn't. His his position isn't even wide receiver. It's it's Trevor Davis cut candidate because he makes teams just because there's no one else. Like, does Trevor Davis even play special teams? Useless. We talk about great football players: Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt, Travis Kelsey, Albert Wilson, Doug Baldwin, Jeff Janis. Well, that's not Trevor Davis. Trevor Davis doesn't have an all-purpose skill set. Trevor Davis can do one thing, which is run in a straight line and not convert the catch. That's all he can do. Trevor Davis was leapfrogged by Geronimo Allison. That's an indictment of Trevor Davis. It's not an indictment of Jeff Janis, because there are larger forces at work marginalizing Jeff Janis. We're not going to get into all of them now. We've already got into them in previous shows. You can go to YouTube, type in Roto Underworld Radio and Jeff Janis. You want to listen to our highlights from the past. We've laid it all out there, what the forces are at work that are suppressing Jeff Janis's greatness and his potential, and maybe, maybe Saginaw Valley grads that work for the Patriots, because there are Saginaw Valley graduates that are working in the Patriots' front office. Do you know this to be true? That's true. I think it's their director of player personnel. The name escapes Oh me. my God, let's just get it done. Right. Get on the phone. That's right. Get it, it done. Someone that's fairly high up in the Patriots' front office is a graduate of Saginaw Valley State which is Jeff Janis's alma mater. And we just need to get this over with. We need to allow the white receiver to go to the team that covets the white receiver and gets the most out of its white wide receivers. I mean, that's what we need to do. I mean, we saw Danny Amendola ring up, what, nine catches in a quarter this year. We saw Wes Welker be the best wide receiver in fantasy football. We've seen Julian Edelman be a PPR monster for consecutive years. Chris Hogan is now a top 20 fantasy receiver. Yeah, he's smashing. You put Jeff Janis on that team, look out. We've seen it with Chris Hogan already. We saw the NFL disregard Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan was Jeff Janis light when he was on Miami. And they were calling him 7-Eleven. And all they were talking about was how he makes plays. And he's bigger than people think. And he's better than people think. But because he went to Monmouth. And because he didn't look the part that he didn't make the roster. Why? Because Jeff Ireland, the then general manager of the Miami Dolphins, was incompetent. We we're doing the same exercise all over again with Jeff Janis. Only Jeff Janis's ceiling is much higher. And what happened? Even the Buffalo Bills, who got production 
from Chris Hogan didn't appreciate him. They were like, oh, we don't want to pay him. They didn't want to pay him. Fine. Let him go it's crazy. to a team that yeah. appreciates this particular brand of wide receiver, the New England Patriots. That's the way we unlock Jeff Janis. There's a bunch of teams I think he would be a good fit for, but if I had to predict where he goes next season, New England. Amari Cooper has been grossly inefficient this year. He was mildly inefficient last year and grossly inefficient in his rookie year. He just hasn't been efficient throughout his career. So in that way, he's very different than Stephon Diggs, who's been the quintessential efficient wide receiver from the jump, from day one in the NFL. He's had something to prove as a fifth-round pick. Amari Cooper doesn't seem to have anything to prove. He seems to be just riding on this top-five overall pick reputation, cashing these checks, and not catching any passes. Is it eventually going to happen for Amari Cooper? I mean, is he the guy we thought he was at Alabama? What's happening? No, I think this is kind of just who he is. Yeah. He's an exciting player who will not command, you know, a 30% market share uh, he's never going to convert 35% of his red zone looks into touchdowns, and he'll have four breathtaking, amazing plays a year. He's like closer to like Martavis Bryant, really. That's like a good comparison for like his like long speed. But they they try and kind of shoehorn him into being a possession wide receiver, though. It's very weird how they use him because they already have one of the best possession receivers in the league in Michael Crabtree. So just use him as a vertical threat, but they don't. You're right. They're trying to move him into the slot and do all these weird things. I don't get it. So I don't understand the conundrum that is Amari Cooper because he has one of the best prospect profiles we've ever seen other than Jeff Janis. And yet he's just not firing. It's not happening. And yet Stephon Diggs, he looks like the next evolution of Antonio Brown. That 2015 draft class was an abomination at the wide receiver position. But thankfully, we have Stephon Diggs, the one shining light at the wide receiver position from that draft class. Yes, sir. Is he the next evolution of Antonio Brown? Like, what if Antonio Brown was actually fast? No, I don't I don't want to get into this comparison of like Antonio Brown because I kind of think Diggs is like a different player. I kind of think Diggs is like what would happen if you took a shrink rate of like Julio Jones. I think that's like a more apt comparison because he doesn't. Like Stefan Diggs does not run like four yard out routes and screens. He just he he's moved to the outside now and he looks more than like he's just a he's a he plays like a big wide receiver and a little body. And I, I hate saying plays big. I don't mean that he plays bigger than his size. No, but he does, though. That's a, that's fine. Don't don't shy away from that analysis. No, but I don't I don't want to sound like I don't want to sound like Kean Fahi or whatever oh, right, that that yeah. dude's like you know what I'm saying like I don't I don't yeah. want to sound like an asshole. Well, on eight targets that have been contested for Stefan Diggs this year, he's converted 87.5% of those catches. So, 7 of 8 uncontested catches. And you see it when you watch the Vikings, he's going up in traffic between defenders and coming down with it. Things that you're normally accustomed to seeing from Julio Jones. Yeah, big wide receivers. Yeah. But I don't I don't I think that people just say Antonio Brown because they're the same size. I fell for that. I did that. That's my question on the show sheet. When I watch Diggs, I don't see like I don't see like the technician. Like Antonio Brown just kind of like glides around and he's he's always getting defenders on like their wrong foot. Yes. And to me, to me I don't think Diggs is is like that highly technical. Like I think he can be, but I think what Diggs does is he just generates 
separation with athleticism, and I think he's really good in tight windows. Oh, so good in tight windows, as evidenced by the contested catch rate, and his target separation on playerprofiler.com, new metric target separation, yards of separation at target, 2, 2.0. That's a big number. He's getting two yards of separation at target. That means that defenders are off balance. That means he is running crisp routes. So he's doing it all. He's checking all of these boxes. That's why he's absolutely a top five dynasty wide receiver. We have him in the top three now, and he's moved ahead of Amari Cooper because these games matter. These games have also demonstrated that Jacksonville's good at defense. Is Jacksonville just a complete stay away defense for all positions? Just stay away from Jacksonville? No, because it's still like, uh, like they're still going to get in bad game script. Like Bortles is still Bortles. He's still going to throw picks. Like teams that are better than the Jaguars will still be able to move the ball just because they will be in a positive game script. But I think that like, if it's like, like, I don't think I would be like wanting to play Lamar Miller against them. I don't think that I would want to play <laughs> no, like, no. like, I don't want to play Texas, like other bad teams. I don't want to play them against Jacksonville. Right. So if you have, well, we saw one team, the Titans, who are matchup proof. Titans offensive line and running game is matchup proof. So the Titans did have a successful game against the Jaguars. It really puts that great game by Derrick Henry in better context. Once we've seen more games from Mm -hmm. the Jacksonville Jaguars, we've seen the impact that Calais Campbell has on that run stuffing unit. And you just can't run against them unless you're the Titans. Yes. For example, you could play Gillisley against them knowing that the Patriots probably get a big lead and that there's going to be touchdowns to be had and you need to chase touchdowns yes, and you need to play a guy like Gillisley. So other than a Le'Veon Bell, there's going to be instances where you play a Gillisley because game script. I'll give you four players now, a little game called Are You Worried? I'm, I'm almost always worried. I'm going to modulate my voice so it sounds cool. Just a post-production aside there. Let's do it. Are you worried about Terrell Pryor, officially? Confirmed worried about Pryor. Confirmed. Are you worried about Martavis Bryant? No. If Martavis Bryant just doesn't drop that 80-yard bomb first play, we're being like, oh my God, Martavis Bryant, second-round pick. So good. Love him. Yeah. So just... Are you worried about Eric Decker? Mm, No. Because I was like, you know me, love Decker, have been been hounding on him for years. Yes. I, I this was a, a pretty bad landing spot for him, not in terms of what he can provide for the team, but what he can provide in fantasy. Right. He's a redundant asset with Rashard Matthews. Rashard Matthews is a and with Delaney Walker. Younger, more efficient version of Eric Decker, and they already have Delaney Walker in the red zone. So it's not great. Not having Corey Davis active was helping, should have helped, but there's also been some bad matchups for Eric Decker. So I think the touchdowns are coming. I'm not He'll still score seven touchdowns. Yeah, I'm not as worried about Eric Decker as I am, say, Terrell Pryor, who I'm legitimately fearful of what he actually is and what's going to happen this year. He's just an enigma player. Eric Decker's the opposite. There's nothing enigmatic about Eric Decker. You know exactly what he is. Terrell Pryor's the opposite. Another enigma, though, Tyrell Williams. Worried? No, because Keenan will get hurt. Okay. Keenan's okay. soft, man. I like I I don't and I don't even really believe this in general. Keenan Allen puts the soft in soft tissue. There we go. Nailed it. That's the name of the show. Keenan Allen soft tissue. Like Keenan Allen and 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 Rivers is just playing like awful, awful football right now. Awful. And if he regresses to his mean even a little bit, there's like seven like 
pretty high quality targets a game coming for Tyrell. Yeah, and some long touchdowns. Don't worry so much about Tyrell Williams. Of all the buy lows we've talked about today, Tyrell Williams might be the sneakiest best of the buy lows, other than Jordan Matthews, of course. DeMarco Murray did something impressive. He strained a hamstring, looked like he was going to be inactive, decided, no, I'm going to play, and then rolled up over 100 yards against the Seattle defense. So that was really, really, that was one of the most impressive performances by a running back all season. A lot of that was on one 75-yard run. The fact that he broke that run, didn't pull a hamstring in the process, all positive indicators for DeMarco Murray. However, however, I believe that DeMarco Murray is afraid of Derrick Henry, that if Derrick Henry were not there on the depth chart, if it were someone else, Darren McFadden. Sure. If it were Darren McFadden instead of Derrick Henry, I don't think DeMarco Murray plays. I think DeMarco Murray was terrified that Derrick Henry was going to go out and rip apart the Seattle Seahawks as he did to the Jacksonville Jaguars the week before and that he would get Wally pipped, that he wouldn't have a job a week from now. I think that's why DeMarco Murray found a way to get on the field and be active. I mean, I think football players like to play, but they're definitely, I mean, if DeMarco is not afraid of being Wally Pipped, then he's an idiot. Yeah, he needs to be afraid. And I think he is afraid. And for that reason, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with the competitive spirit where a guy goes out and plays hurt. I don't like it when guys play hurt. I think oftentimes they get coerced into play by the coaches, the medical staff. That's another, that's a whole other show. Yeah, I mean, the NFL, not a safe environment for human bodies. Right, and the coaches love to go in front of the, the, yeah, yes, of course, yeah, breaking news, we've never talked about that, but also the coaches love to go in front of the podium and put passive-aggressive public pressure on their players to play and play hurt when they themselves would not do that. Regardless, it's impressive that though he was with very light pressure from the coaching staff that DeMarco Murray said, no, no, this is my job and I'm going to play hurt, I love my profession, I love my place on this team, I love the prestige that I've built up, my brand, everything else, and I'm going to fight for all of that today. I'm going to fight for me today. And sometimes it's impressive when someone just stands up for themselves and they fight for me. So that was impressive to me. Yeah, that was, it was cool. And I like, I don't know, I I kind of like DeMarco. Like, he yeah. was a Sooner, he was a Cowboy. Yes. I've, I've followed him for a long time. He's not a bad guy. He's not like someone I like hate to root against. Oh, people root against him. They'd say soft, all these things. No, if you needed any evidence showing you who DeMarco Murray actually is, what he's made of, it's him playing last weekend. That's who DeMarco Murray is. So I think he should have silenced all critics. He has played hurt on multiple occasions. I remember when he played with a broken hand for the Cowboys in a meaningless game. So never, ever question the toughness and the will and the drive of DeMarco Murray. You can't question the will and the drive and the desire of Chris Hogan either because he was a lacrosse player with one year of Monmouth football on his resume and he has slowly risen over the course of seven seasons bouncing around the NFL disrespected from one franchise to the next discarded and much like I think walking the walk that I think Jeff Janis is going to have to walk five years ahead of Jeff Janis, mm-hmm. Chris Hogan has shown that determination. And now, what is he? He's a top 20 wide receiver in fantasy football, baby. Right quarterback, right team, right injuries around him. Like Edelman getting injured, huge for him. Huge. 
I mean, that was a lot bigger for him than many assumed. Oh, he's too big to play slot. No, they're going to put uh, Amendola in there. They might move Brandon Cooks in there. No, they've told you that Brandon Cooks is their X receiver. He's out wide on the left, and he's running that X receiver route tree, deep touchdown to win the game. You saw it. But that also means that Chris Hogan is playing slot flanker, and that's a high-volume role in that Pats offense. This is for real. This is not an aberration. Target hog Chris Hogan is here. Correct. And the beauty is he showed this skill set to the Miami Dolphins seven years ago, Davis. He showed it on Hard Knocks on HBO. And it took seven years. I'm going to be real. For him to get in this position. I didn't even know that. I did not even know that. This is the journey that Jeff Janis is currently partaking in. He's halfway through it. It's like the Lord of the Rings. But eventually, Jeff Janis, like Chris Hogan before him, is going to climb Mount Doom and become a top 20 fantasy football wide receiver. So we're heading into week... I mean, lock it up. He's 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 locked up top 20. Like, 0% chance he doesn't get there. No, Chris Hogan is a top 20 receiver now and for the remainder of the season, absolutely. And Jeff Janis will do it eventually. I can't tell you what year it's going to be or with what team, but it is going to happen. Now, everyone's looking for the next free square running back. It's been a free square free year in fantasy football. We haven't had the free squares you could argue, oh, Wendell Smallwood this year. Wait, do we have one? Is there none? Why hasn't there been one? Is there one this week? What's the deal? I mean, the largest contributing factor to it is that teams don't just run with one guy anymore. So when one guy goes down, it's not one guy in. When one guy goes down, three guys come in. So that's that's right. that's, that's the largest contributing factor. Right. Even when a Tariq Cohen emerges... And he's absolutely going to be a fantasy factor for the remainder of the season. He's not the only one, though. He's not the primary back. Yeah. So he's an exciting satellite back who's going to be a contributor in PPR leagues especially, but he's not what you would classify a free square running back. Same with Wendell Smallwood. Wendell Smallwood is a situational role player who is going to get 10-plus carries a game, and he's going to get some targets. The problem with Wendell Smallwood is he's not a good receiver. <laughs> So if you're going to be a satellite back in the NFL, the National Football League, you need to have a reasonable college target share. And you need to have pass-catching ability on your NFL resume. And all we've seen from Wendell Smallwood are low catch rate and an inability to run routes effectively in the NFL. He doesn't have the receptions and the receiving yards that would indicate that he's a quality satellite back. So I'm not sure why anyone would run out and spend the remaining fab budget on a Wendell Smallwood. I wouldn't do that. I'm suggesting you don't do that because the Eagles are not a good running team. And Wendell Smallwood in a vacuum is not a talented back. He's not an all-purpose talent. And we just haven't found one yet. There hasn't been a real free square running back come down the pipeline yet in DFS. We're still waiting, but I'm fine waiting because that also means that our stud running backs are healthy. I don't know if we'll get one this year. Here's what would have to happen. Bell would have to get hurt. Oh, no. Right? Right. Uh, Zeke Zeke suspension or Zeke injury. No, we don't want that. Um, maybe C.J. Anderson getting banged up and, and whoever it is, that could be one. I would enjoy a reemergence of Jamal Charles. That would make me happy because yeah. his efficiency is way up this year. He's back to being 5.5 yards per carry Jamal Charles. He's doing it in limited time. They treat him like that sports car that's in the garage you only take out when your friends come over. 
I think if they could just give him five more carries a game, he would be an RB2 in fantasy with the kind of efficiency that he brings to the table. They also need to use him more in the passing game. I'm surprised that Trevor Simeon, a game manager, isn't leveraging Jamal Charles. I think they need to channel Andy Reid in Denver and get Jamal Charles more active in the passing game. Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's obvious, but also I will... I, I almost never do this, but I'm going to give a little bit of the credit to the Denver coaching staff, and I'm going to say they probably know some things about Jamal Charles' health and his sustainability uh, about – well, they just know things about his knees that we don't know. That's very possible. Bone on bone. Odell Beckham Jr. seems 100% to me. Yes. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't have access to his MRI, but he seems 100%. And with Odell Beckham Jr. scoring double-digit touchdowns, with Odell Beckham Jr. scoring two touchdowns last week, it's starting to look exciting at the wide receiver position. It's really looking up. The elite wide receivers across the board, now including Stephon Diggs, very high ceilings. Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, now Odell Beckham Jr. I'm tempted to start loading up on wide receivers in DFS. Is that recommended? So when David Johnson got injured, I said that this is like a a radical reimagining of how daily fantasy is being played because for the last year and a half, Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson were the plays week in and week out. You found a way to get them in. And I think that there's like some lizard brain stuff going on where every week you go to start creating your, your cash team. Um, and you just started slotting in the high price running backs instead of, instead of thinking like, okay, uh, let's just go with these wide receivers. However, I will say uh, the reason that you know mid-tier high-priced running backs are generally better than the high-priced wide receivers is they are less game flow dependent. Like you can get Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, Odell games where they only get six interactions. And we have this year's David Johnson in Kareem Hunt also. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that is true. And Ty Montgomery, yeah. So give me one sneaky lineup maker wide receiver. So you're, you're playing Ty Montgomery, you're playing Kareem Hunt. Give me that wide receiver this week on DraftKings under 4,000 that you're playing. I'm not there yet. I haven't gone. It's, this is, we're, we're a Tuesday afternoon. I'm not, I'm not ready to declare a lineup maker yet. A guy, Davis. A guy. A guy. Let me let me pull up salaries. Let's let pull up look. salaries. Let's pull up. Let's do let's do the thing. Let's do a DFS podcast right now. Let's go pull up salaries. I love it. Let's do it. I'm all about it. I'm pulling them up right now. I've started to make like my outlines and stuff, but I've not found a lineup maker yet. I know it's early. I know it's early. <gasps> I found him already. I found him already. Go ahead. Is your guy Jordan Matthews? <laughs> yes, thirty nine hundred. The first guy I saw. I would say Bruce Ellington played 95% of the snaps for Houston last week. He could be one. Ooh, against Tennessee, yes. And he's even less expensive than Jordan Matthews. I love that. Yeah, he's a starter. But Will Fuller might be back this week. Not sure. Benny Fowler, perhaps. Ooh. Not not super exciting, though. Well, I'm excited about Jordan Matthews at 3,900. I think it, that that's viable. That's a game where they will have to throw. Yeah, we were talking about this. The game in which Buffalo Bills have to actually throw the football to stay competitive, look for Jordan Matthews to get 10 targets. That's possible. Very, very, very possible. Last question, buddy. Who is the first player you check 
when pricing is released because you're just that turned on by him. Actually, this slate, the first the first person I checked, I remember I was doing the recap show on Sunday. The first person I checked was Dalvin Cook. Oh. Who is a, a stone lock on DraftKings.com this week. $6,500 at home against the Lions. Get Dalvin Cook active in all formats. Daily Fantasy, Seasonal, Dynasty, doesn't matter. Play Dalvin Cook. Get Dalvin Cook active in all formats. Daily Fantasy, Seasonal, Dynasty, doesn't matter. Play Dalvin Cook. There you go. You nailed it. Play Dalvin Cook. Yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was, like, legitimately, I, I, like, legitimately remember he was the first one. Yeah, that was good. That's the people, we gave the people what they wanted. Didn't we? We were indignant about Geronimo Allison. Oh, fuck that guy. We were entrenched, although I would I would call it full of conviction, about Jeff Janis. And we found Jeff the, the path that Jeff Janis needs to follow, blazed by Chris Hogan. Dude, we got a lot done, man. Well, yeah. And get Jamal Charles more active in the passing game. Well, yeah. Everyone was wrong about Jordan Howard last year. Leave me alone. The beauty is that the box score chasers, they think this guy's good, Davis. They think Geronimo Allison's good. This is killing me. Well, yeah. I have two separate teams where I kept David Johnson and drafted Montgomery and Hunt. Dude, that's the dream scenario for running back. Love that, man. Pryor. Mm, yeah. Mm. It's almost like he's never played wide receiver before. The offense that they have constructed in Washington just like kind of expected him to play like Pierre Garçon and like gain separation on like eight yard routes, and that's not really his deal. He should be running the Calvin Johnson route tree, nines and nines and posts. Let him loose. Take the reins off. Gruden. Kirk is like kind of a game manager a little bit. He's a shot-taking game manager, so in the Andy Dalton mold, you know, Andy Dalton likes to take some shots, but at the same time, fine, checking it down to the running back whenever possible. Gio Bernard is now Chris Thompson. Yeah, that's about right. Chris Thompson is lit. Did you see the time where Vernon Davis was tackled by the penis? I mean, that sounds like an NFL thing. That absolutely happened. You could see it with his pants the way it was. He was brought down when he was on the 49ers by his penis. Clapping. Great job, Matt. Awesome work. Competitive games don't even matter to me if my fantasy teams are bad. Like, I just, like, this this Sunday apparently had a bunch of really good games, but I was, like, not even aware of it because my teams are so bad. What I'm rooting for is, in a way, it's not fantasy-related, but it's sort of analytically related. It's good decision-making and good clock management by coaches. And so I'm rooting for this whole win probability seeping into football and decision-making. And then to watch 
Bill O'Brien kick a field goal on fourth and one to watch Marvin Lewis kick a field goal on fourth and two and just hand it over to Brady and Rodgers. Yeah, it's soul draining. It's just, it's like, it's not even right though. It's not even the right thing to do. It's like, he's the only person in the world that would do that. Whereas every player on the sidelines wants to go for it. Everyone with a phone that has the win probability listed in their box score knows he needs to go for it. And it's like, he's not going for it. So whack. Well, yeah. If I was a coach, I would just always go for it. Like, I just can't imagine ever, like, being like, all right, let's punt. Players want to go for it. You're also showing a belief in your players. In the offense and the defense, you're showing the offense, like, I think you guys can do this, and if you don't, I think the defense can hold you. The fans are happy you did it. The players are happy you did it. The math says you should do it, and yet they don't do it. I'm filled with suspense because I'm not watching the game. And then I see the little dot, 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 you know, that signifies the punt or the kick. And I'm just like, oh, you've got to be. No, you no, you didn't just you. He did it. He did it. They come from being coaches sons or from being a GM son. Like they all come from somewhere else in the NFL and from being related or from being married to someone in the NFL. That's where they all come from. He leads the NFL in rushing by 113 yards. <laughs> the cohesion. Is it cohesion? Is that the right word? Cohesion. The cohesion. Thank you, Davis. How many passing touchdowns to wide receivers did you think he was going to get that year? He didn't have Tyreek Hill, he didn't have Travis Kelsey. No, he looks like a security guard at a library. When they call pass plays, the ball tends to go to Jordan Matthews, which is the least surprising thing in the history of the NFL that when the choices are Jordan Matthews or Zay Jones or Andre Holmes or Charles Clay, that the ball would go to Jordan Matthews. That's somehow shocking. Well, yeah. I didn't say it. I didn't even say it, people. That wasn't even me. That was Davis Maddock. So it's not just me. It's not just me who thinks that you were a sucker drafting Jordan Howard at 14th overall. Confirmed. Keenan's soft, man. I like I I don't and I don't even really believe this in general. Wait, 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 wait hold on, hold on. I got I got a joke. I got a joke. So Keenan Allen puts the soft in soft tissue. Well, yeah. Bone on bone. I mean, if DeMarco is not afraid of being Wally Pip, then he's an idiot. Let me let me pull up salaries and let me look. Let's pull up salaries. Let's pull up. Let's do, let's do the thing. Let's do a DFS podcast right now. Let's go pull up salaries. I love it. Let's do it. He showed this skill set to the Miami Dolphins seven years ago, Davis. He showed it on Hard Knocks on HBO, and it took seven years for him to get in this position. I'm going to be real. I didn't even know that. I did not even know that. That's football right there. I mean, that's perfect. Isn't that perfect? Right for the wrong reasons. Wrong for the wrong reasons. Football. Eh, football.
he was brought down when he was on the 49ers by his penis. 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 Well, yeah.